All right, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. We will read all verses 1 through 17. We'll read all 17 verses. Um, although our focus today will be specifically on verse 3. Remember, this is uh, we have looked at the foundation of the Ten Commandments, which is that God is the redeeming God. God is the covenant making God. And because of that, he calls us to live a certain way. So hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his servant or his manservant his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, the one and only true God, who is our God, we call out to you today. And we ask for clarity. We ask for clarity as we study your word. We ask for clarity as we take what we have learned today and seek to live it in our lives. Illuminate your word by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may serve you well and worship you appropriately. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Joshua chapter 24, we find the leader of the nation of Israel, the leader who took over after Moses. We find him gathering the people together uh, near the city of Shechem and renewing with them the covenant that God had made with them back with Moses when he took them from the land of Egypt there at Mount Sinai that Moses renewed with them once again on the border to the promised land as we have recorded for us in Deuteronomy. Part of that renewal of the covenant in Deuteronomy was a call for Joshua to gather the people together after the conquest was over and to remind them once again of the covenant that they had made with God, that God had held up his end of the bargain by giving them the promised land. As he has the tribes gathered there, he says this to them, which comes from verse, beginning in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river with the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we 
will serve the Lord. Today we're going to look at the first commandment, the commandment that says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we will see how it is the foundation for what we have learned and for what Joshua says here in Joshua chapter 24. As we turn to the commandments, it's important for us to to see and to understand that throughout the ages of the church, we have seen the the commandments in two separate tables, if you will. Uh, The first four commandments follow along God's command to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And the last six show us how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we'll spend the next four weeks focusing on how we love God through the commandments. Although even loving our neighbor uh, shows that we love God. So today as we look at the first commandment, we will look at the meaning of the commandment. We will look at some contemporary issues and then we'll wrap up with some application. First off, the meaning of the commandment. What does it mean to have no other gods before gods, before God? This is a call to covenant loyalty. We talked a little bit before about how the Ten Commandments is the stipulation or the rules section of a covenant. The covenant sets out for us the rules of a relationship between a strong king and a weaker king that the strong king has done something to rescue or to provide for or to somehow better the life of the weaker city-state. And typically, the first rule in any covenant relationship is a rule of loyalty. So let's say I was a a king whose city was under attack by some foreign uh, uh, nation or for some foreign state. And Jerry's kingdom came in and rescued me from the oppression, from the siege of this foreign city state and didn't destroy me in the process as well, but set up a covenant relationship between me and Jerry the first rule that I would have to live by would be loyalty to Jerry for what he has done for me. He would remind me in the opening, as we saw last week, that he had rescued me from the oppression of this city-state. And then he would say, be loyal to me. And that is what we have here in the first commandment. Remember, we looked at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, where it says, And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God had redeemed Israel. He had rescued them from slavery. And his first rule to them was be loyal to me. Now, many commentators, excuse me, many commentators over the years have looked at this and looked at the wording of it and have come to the the wrong conclusion that when God says have no other gods before me, God is admitting to the existence of other gods in the world. Now, we know from Paul's words in the New Testament, especially to the Corinthians and first Corinthians, that there are no other gods. God is the only God exists that exists. All other gods are either figments of our imagination or demonic powers that have set themselves up as gods. But this commandment shows us that God was meeting Israel where they were and speaking to them in a language and in a way that they could understand and they could apply to their lives. Where had they just come from? They had just come from Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for several hundred years. They had lived in Egypt for 400 years as they grew into a nation. Egypt during this time period is one of the most pagan nations to have existed in the history of the world. 
they had one of the largest pantheons or the largest list of gods of any culture during that time. The Egyptians took things like the sun. They took the moon. They took rivers. They took trees. They took crops. They took fertile land. They took animals. They even took death and worshipped all of these things as God. What's the temptation when you live in a culture that believes differently than you do for several hundred years? The temptation is to begin to act, to live, and to worship as they did. And we saw from what Joshua told the Israelites there at Shechem that they had done that very thing. He said, do not worship the gods that your fathers worshipped on the other side of the river. The other side of the river would have been the Jordan River. Where did they cross the Jordan River from? From the wilderness. Where did they end up in the wilderness from? From Egypt. The Israelites had adopted the practices of the Egyptians in worshiping all those different things that the Egyptians worshiped. And what God is saying them to them is, look, you have this understanding in your life that there are other gods in the world. Only worship me. Don't make me the most important of all the other gods. That's not what it says to have no other God before God. But worship me and me alone. This is echoed for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, where God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That could also be translated, the Lord is God alone. So what God is saying is, worship me and worship me alone. What's our temptation when we worship God? It's just to kind of add Him to whatever else is working for us in our life. Or whatever else we think is working for us in our life. But what God says in Exodus 20, verse 3, what God says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, what God says in Joshua 24 through the words of Joshua, what God says throughout His entire Word, even in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What God is saying in all these things is that I am the only one that you are to worship. Competing gods, throw them away. Competing things that you want to worship, throw them away. This, this commandment reminds us that our loyalty our allegiance is to be to nothing else other than God. I grew up, uh, well, of course I grew up. I turned 49 today, so hopefully I grew up somewhere in between there. I grew up going to school at a private Christian school. Every morning, this was in Florida, so we could gather outside every morning. Occasionally, you'd get down to 40 and they'd let us move inside. But we gathered outside every morning as the entire student body, high school, elementary, everything. Every single day we stood out there, there was a flag in the baseball field next to the tarmac where we, where we met, where we gathered together. All of us would line up in our classes, we would turn toward the flag, we would all place our hands over our hearts, and what would we say? I pledge allegiance. That's a problem. Because where should my allegiance lie? I should worship God first. Now, that doesn't mean that I should hate my country. It doesn't mean that I should not have pride in being American. But what should I have said? What should that school have had me say that day instead of I pledge allegiance? Something along the lines of I believe in God, the Father Almighty, who made heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Virgin Mary, who's born. Yeah, all those things. The Apostles Creed. I'm out of practice already. 
That's where my allegiance lies. When, When we take practices in our lives where we take a pledge of allegiance or we have practices in our lives that we rely upon for our health, for our salvation, for our hope, for our security in life, those things become gods for us. And so what God is calling us to say is that we put the Apostles' Creed before we put the Pledge of Allegiance. We put the Scriptures before our patriotism. We put God before everything else in our lives, oftentimes to the exclusion of those things. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now for the Israelites, this might have been a simpler task than it is for us. Because they had left a land where these gods had names. They were going into a land where these gods had names like Baal and Molech and Ashtarte and all those different funny sounding ancient Near Eastern names. But we don't have gods that we worship, do we? What are some contemporary problems that we have? Well, there are competing gods, I would say, and some of them are easy to find. Most of them have ism on the end of their name. We have Buddhism. We have Hinduism. We have Islam. And we can see how each of these worship different gods. That they they find their hope and their help in different places. But other gods that we have in our society don't have names like that. Some of us worship work and the jobs that we have. Some of us go to work every day, which is important. I'm not saying let's all just quit our jobs because Paul does say those who don't work, don't eat. Work is important. But some of us worship work, do we not? I'm not going to have prestige. I'm not going to have security. I'm not going to have comfort. I'm not going to have peace Unless I make enough money. And how much money is enough? Another dollar more. And that never ends. And it becomes our God that we chase after. Politics. How many times was your heart broken by the phrase, the church will not survive the next four years if you don't vote for you fill in the blank. We worship politics oftentimes. It's not what God said, by the way. It's not what Jesus said in the book of Matthew. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And it doesn't matter who's in office. Some of us worship knowledge. Man, I will only have peace if I can know as much as I possibly can. Get all the degrees that I possibly can. Get all of the stuff, the, the information that I possibly can. It's the only way I can find peace and comfort in my life. Some of us worship science. Some of us worship nature. God has created a lot of good things in this world. What did he say at the end of the account in Genesis chapter 1? God saw that it was very good. There's a lot of good things in creation. And we are called to enjoy them. God has placed us in this world to enjoy the good things of his creation. But when we take those good things and make them ultimate, when we make them the source of our hope, where we make them the source of our comfort, where we make them the source of our peace instead of God, they become gods for us. This for us, this first And really the second commandment as well. But today the first commandment is a worship issue. 
When I say I pledge allegiance to the flag, I'm declaring my worship for a country or for a flag. That's what worship is oftentimes. It's just allegiance. Where does your loyalty lie? But this is also a redemption issue. Because when we seek after other gods, we are seeking for redemption. Every worldview out there has four pieces to it. Creation. Where did the world come from? Fall. What went wrong with the world? Redemption. How do we fix what's wrong with the world? And finally, restoration. Not only how do we fix what's wrong with the world, but how do we get the world back to where it was before it was broken? The scriptures lay out for us that the world was created by God. The reason it is broken is because humanity sinned trying to take the place of God in that world. And he says redemption comes through the only mediator of God's elect, who is the man Christ Jesus. That person who was fully God and fully man, that person we prayed about, who took sin upon him, who knew no sin so that we might have grace, so that we might have righteousness. And when we worship other gods, what we are saying is, I have to do something else in addition to what Jesus did for my salvation, for my redemption. So it's a worship issue. It's a redemption issue. And God says, I am to be your only God. Obviously, today we do not worship gods like Ra or Astarte or Zeus or Jupiter or Baal. So how do we know when we have violated the first commandment in our lives? Philip Ryken gives us a two-part test, two questions we can ask ourselves. First off, what do you love? Now, I'm not talking about your spouse or your children, although they could become gods that you worship. When I talk about love, I talk about love as the, the scriptures do oftentimes. Love and loyalty are together. When God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What do you love with all your heart, with all your soul? And with all your strength. What do you pursue above other things? Now, for some people, the answer is their spouse or their children. We live in a culture that idolizes relationship. That says, I can only be complete when I find that perfect person. Puts a whole lot of stress on you. Puts a whole lot of stress on that other person. Because guess what? There is no perfect person for you out there. There is nobody who is going to complete you. Only God can do that. No person can do that. And so we seek out the person who is most compatible and we use the power of the Holy Spirit to let God change us through that marriage, through that relationship. But we don't worship that other person. That other person cannot do it. Children cannot fill us. But what do you pursue above all other things? Another way to ask that, another way to ask what do I love, is to see where your money and your time goes. What do you spend your money on? Where do you place your time? Tish Harrison Warren, in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Liturgy of the Ordinary, says that whatever you are willing to give up sleep for is something that may be a God in your life. Now, all of us struggle to get up early in the morning, except sometimes for one certain thing. 
There's something that you know that even if you were asked to get up at four o'clock in the morning to do it, boom, you'd be up just like that. You wouldn't have to hit the alarm. You'd be up five minutes early because you were so excited to do it that that is your thing. That may be your God. Because you're willing to give up something that is so precious to the rest of us. So the first question you ask is, what do I love? The second question is, what do I trust? We live in a broken and fallen world. Sin has entered the world and sin makes life difficult. Not necessarily because I commit sin, although sometimes my life is difficult because, yes, I commit sins. But sometimes somebody who may be a complete stranger that I don't know has committed a sin somewhere and it makes my life hard. It may be somebody that we love who's done something that's an offense to us. It may not even be a sin, but it breaks some internal rules that we have and it causes us pain. It causes us difficulty. It causes us worry. What do you trust to fix or to cover that pain when that pain comes? That may be your God. First Kings 18, we have the account of Elijah and Mount Carmel. It has not rained in the northern kingdom for three and a half years. And we all know what happens when it doesn't rain for a long period of time. Crops begin to fail. Storehouses begin to empty because we haven't been able to fill them. And the northern kingdom was under drought. And the king came to Elijah, this king who worshipped the gods of the Amorites, who worshipped Baal and Ashtarte. Um, Asherah is the other name for Ashtarte. I meant to tell you that earlier. So he comes to Elijah and he says, look, I'm at my wit's end. My gods aren't making it. You pray to your God. And Elijah says, fine, why don't you guys meet me at Mount Carmel? And we'll see whose God is more powerful. And so 450 prophets of Baal show up for Baal. And Elijah shows up for God. And they both build their altars. They both slaughter their cows. They both build up the altars, put the wood and the cow on there. And Elijah says, okay, you guys pray to Baal. There's 450 of you. Maybe he'll hear you. You guys pray to Baal and see what happens. And so they do all morning long, several hours long. They're dancing. They're marching around this this statue to Baal, this idol, this other God. And nothing happens. They're cutting themselves. They're, they're, They're causing themselves to bleed so that maybe this God will hear them and be pleased with their pain so that maybe, just maybe, he'll ask and answer. Maybe he'll answer. And Elijah says some funny things like, well, maybe he's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. Maybe he's taking a nap and he can't hear you. Cry out louder. They finally give up. And Elijah says, put the bull on there, put the wood on there, and pour several hundred gallons of water over the altar. And he very quietly walks up to the altar and he says, God, glorify yourself today. And fire comes down, enough fire to consume the offering, enough fire to evaporate the water, enough fire to melt the stones of the altar. The things that we turn to other than God, the answers other than God to those two questions, what do we love and what do we trust, are imaginary. They're deaf. They're powerless. Whether they're people, whether they're work, whether there's some substance that we turn to, whatever they are, they are powerless to answer anything we ask them to answer. Oh, they might hide it for a little while. They might cover it for a little bit. But it's just a covering. It's not an answer. 
But if God, the God of the scriptures, is the answer to the question, what do I love? And the question, what do I trust? Then the most miserable of prayers is answered with God's peace. May not be straightened out the way we think we want it to, but God fills us with peace. God answers and consumes that for us so that we can love him. And that is the God we worship. That is the God who says, you shall have no other gods before me. As we leave today or as we approach the table today, who or what are you crying out to to answer your great distress? Who do you love and who do you trust? Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you answer when even when we give you even the most miserable of prayers, that your spirit groans for us in your presence. When we can't say other anything other than God, glorify yourself. Lord, help us to remember to turn to you. Help us to remember to love you. Help us to remember to trust you above all other things in our lives. Keep us from taking the good things that you have created and turning them into ultimate things. And be glorified in our our life and be our God. We pray this in Jesus' name.